I'm Silvahara Petian. Welcome to my show. We talk ordinary people, extraordinary stories, living life on their own terms. Hello, everybody. Silvahara Petian here with another episode of the Silvahara Petian Show. Thank you for joining us. I know I haven't been around for a while, and if you're watching me on YouTube, you're going, What is happening? <laughs> What there, happened to your hair? What happened to your hair? It is gone. And if you are listening to us on the radio, I know you're going to maybe go online, try to find pictures, but you won't because I haven't posted any yet. So, uh, but that's not what this episode is about. I am so happy to say that this episode is about my friend, Aaron Bender. He was the voice of KFI radio um, here in Los Angeles. Um, he has worked across the country in radio. In fact, Aaron and I started our careers together at KMPH News Radio in Fresno, California. This is my radio voice. <laughs> I know you, you just so easily slipped into that radio I voice. I did. I haven't used my radio voice in a while. So he is uh, joining us today to talk about all things career, life, transition, change, fatherhood, you name it. If you need a little bit of inspiration in your life, if you need a little bit of uh, hope in your life. If you need a little bit of sunshine in your life, Aaron is going to give it to us today. Thank you for joining us today, Aaron. Wow, the pressure, uh, the sunshine and hope and inspiration. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Well, that's oh my who, gosh, the pressure. Th whether you like it or not, that's <laughs> you just you exude all of that. You always have. And so it's two things. First off, uh, I I'm just getting over a cold, so I. I will try my best to reach over to mute myself if I need to hack a lung over here. Number one. Number two, when was the last time your hair was this short? Oh, my God. Um, I know. You hadn't seen it either. I was shocked when I got, I got on the Skype. Skype. I was like, what are you? Oh, my gosh. I thought, I thought you just had it back. Yeah. Or maybe like in, in, a, in a bun that I couldn't see. And then you turned. I was like, it's gone. It's all gone. It is gone. It is shocking. But what do you think, though? Be honest, though. You've always been. I love it. I, seriously, I love it. I love it. Your your face has never looked brighter and and more. Well, and, and that's also just the period you are in your life. But uh, it's just it's it's like bam, this is me. I that's love it. A, thank you. That's exactly what I was going for. Um, <laughs> you know, I think the, the thing about hair is that we we just like everything else in life, we allow it to define who we are. Um, and I think we need to just get really comfortable with us defining who we are and not allow the external physical things around us, whether it be hair or a job or a career or our status, define who we are. And I have slowly been sort of taking control of that element in my life. And I think the hair was really a symbolism to just getting rid of the old and bringing right. in the new. And it. when you it. make a physical change like that, you are physically externally changing something, but you also then force your physiology to catch up to it. And it's been a really great experience. And to answer your question, um, by the way, could you all tell she, he's a he's a journalist because this uh, this episode is about him and he started Ooh, out by asking already. questions about me, right? So. Um, this is going to be a great conversation today. But um, last time my hair was this short, uh, right before I moved from LA for my first t my first job in Fresno, it was 1998. 
you haven't had your hair this short since the late 1900s. <laughs> I, I keep, keep reminding myself sometimes, sometimes. like, uh, like, oh, by the way, yeah, I graduated high school in the late 1900s. Into 1900s, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. But it's very liberating. But um, no, It looks great. You sound great. So great to be here. Thank you so for all of them, um, the, you know, administrative stuff that you just did. Um, I'm going to tell our viewers and listeners as well that I, too, am getting over um, a cold. So if I need to... And if I sound kind of strange or if I have a frog in my in my throat, that's because I'm trying my best not to cough in your <laughs> ear um, or on the screen. And for those of you watching us on YouTube, um, Aaron and I had a little bit of a technical <laughs> problem um, with his background. As you can tell, he's got a great green screen. A lot of you doing video now know what a green screen is. And he yep. usually does Zoom interviews because he has his own Aaron Bender podcast. And he's able to put backdrops in but we're doing this interview on skype and skype sort of made him not have a neck <laughs> yeah. yeah all of a sudden so everything around me was great and then uh all of this in between was just green screen i i, I couldn't and also i love by the way uh, again people watching on youtube and i've explained this on my podcast as well i can't figure out my camera settings to get something like this to stop watch see so, yeah, if I put my hands up, and of course we talk with our hands, um, I I turn my actual shade of white, whereas when I put it down, oh, it's a nice tan. Oh. It's a very nice tan, right? <laughs> yes. Because, because the camera's picking up all this green, so it's adjusting it, and it's like, no, no more green. Oh, oh it's all just white. That's ah. so funny. Well, so, all right. I don't know. Well, we'll figure it out. We, we've talked a lot of, a lot of uh, just technical stuff and radio stuff and media stuff already, but... This I'm just is how pulling off any kind of questions that you're going to ask that are going to make me cry as payback for my making you cry on my podcast. But, you know, this is how we are when we get together. We just we are just going to have a very informal conversation. Um, I should say this um, on the record. And, and Aaron, I should have said this obviously earlier. And I feel like I don't have to because you're in media, but you know, I'm going to ask questions and if you really don't want to talk about it or don't want to answer, oh, just, sure. you know, tell me that you don't want to go there. And I appreciate that and respect that. Um, yeah. but you know, uh, I'm going to start with the thing that a lot of people know and back into the thing that a lot of people don't know. And a lot of people know that, I mean, how long did you work at KFI? Oh, I was there, um, 12 years. 12 years. Yeah, so 12 if, years. if anyone ever listened to KFI and you were in the car, and by, by the way, my sister and my family always did, um, you know, you're familiar with Aaron's voice. You were, you were there for a long time and you, you know, people got used to your voice. So when you were gone, there was a lot of questions about where's Aaron? What happened to Aaron? What's going on with Aaron? A lot of speculation and a lot of questions and you kind of went radio silent for a little while and you were just not coming back into the mix and you have started your own podcast you are teaching at CSUN and you have been doing that for a while I yeah. want you to tell our listeners and our viewers who did follow you and who, who were listening to you who kind of wondered what happened to Aaron can you fill them in as to where did Aaron go yeah so uh late October of 2019 uh, a, a series of very poor decisions, lots of mistakes, both off the air and on the air, personally and professionally, just all came to a head. And I basically left the company no choice but to let me go. And and I'm I'm glad they did 
because it was a slap in the face. It was a wake-up call. It was all the types of things that failure and negative situations and bad things, it's all, you know, the, the silver linings on the gray clouds, all those, pick whatever cliche you want. It was exactly that. And the events of the next year would basically paint the picture that it was God's gift. It was God's blessing that what happened in October and November of 2019, losing my job, uh, it, it was it was a gift. And I, I look at it that way because two months after I lost my job, my wife and I learned that her breast cancer that she had fought in 2017 and 18 had returned and spread all over the place, liver, lungs, adrenals, bone. And so we immediately went into, okay, how do we, how do we fight this? Because the survival rates for breast cancer, just in general, stage three and four are something like three to five years, right? And if it comes back, that, that drops dramatically. And with it spreading as much as it did, we knew we had to fight. Two months after that is when the pandemic took hold. So now the uh, our two daughters, now six and eight, then five and seven or whatever it, it was at the time, there was a birthday involved in there somewhere. Um, they're staying home. So somebody's got to stay home with them. And my mother-in-law lives with us, but there's only so much she can do. So, uh, you, you, you put all that together, just just that, just those events, not counting all the different things that I had going on in my life and needed to work on myself. Uh, it was it was absolutely a, a blessing that I lost that job because then I could focus on family, focus on myself, focus on priorities that that mattered, focus on people who mattered. and And so over the course of when we got the diagnosis in January and February of last year to when she eventually passed away in November, uh, through her love for me and for our family, basically worked with me on my issues and said, hey, you know, this, this family is going to be yours. And this is how we fix you so that you are right for them. And had I not lost that job in 2019, love my KFI family, love the iHeart family, still friends with most of the people I worked with um, and still keep in contact with them. But it was best for me to not be there anymore. And it was best for them that I wasn't there anymore because last year was the pivotal year. Forget the pandemic. You know, last year was like the pivotal year in my life and my family's life. And now I'm, I'm home. I, I still teach at Cal State Northridge. I've got this podcast. I've got other projects that I'm working on and I'm just feet away from my family all the time. And while that it, that is a little stressful sometimes because I've I, I've I've worked 
outside of the house for my entire life. And now this, this transition to work from home, just like everybody else had to last year. But, um, but it was, it was an absolute blessing. And it was just a, a series of very poor decisions and mistakes that caught up with me. And, um, I, I, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for it. So thankful for it. Yeah. This conversation be having had now is very different than I'm sure, um, where you were at the moment or, um, the, you know, the, the months following, um, yeah, I didn't think it was a blessing at first. Trust me. Trust me. It, 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 that picture was not painted for several months that, Oh, okay. That was God's plan. All right. Okay. I get it. I hear you. How did you handle, because, you know, when you lose something that is so much of your identity and, you know, those of us in media, it's not what we do. It's who we are. Um, because we are constantly in the state of, oh yeah, you're just always on. You're, you're, you're always a reporter. You're always looking for stories. Yeah. Thinking you're always paying attention. You're always focusing. Even if you're not watching television or reading the newspaper, you're out in the street, you're walking, you're always paying attention in a very different way than most people are. Yeah. When that job is so much a part of you, it becomes you, it becomes who you are, it becomes what you're about, it becomes how you move in life, it becomes your lifestyle, it becomes the choices you make and where you eat and where you go and who you hang out with. You know, it just becomes part of your identity, it becomes part of your DNA. Yeah. How did you go from, you know, that to not having it and then and within a short period of time, then finding out this horrific news about your wife just a few months later. Can you, t can you tell me the first, what the first six months of that was like? It was, I, I liken it to kind of a, a detox. You know, you, you, it, it's kind of like, it's quitting something cold turkey. You know, I, I, you're talking about news, you're talking about lifestyle choices, you're talking about, you know, uh, uh, social media addiction, you know, all, all these different things that all of a sudden you, you don't have access to anymore. You know, I, I'm not going into a newsroom. I, I, I had to detox from news itself because every time I would watch local or network news or listen to the radio, all I could think about was that should be me. I should be there. I would love to report on this, you know, and, and as the pandemic is taking hold, my wife is asking me like, how would, how would you handle this at, at work? And I'm like, I really, I really don't want to talk about that because, um, that's, that's not me anymore, you know? And it, it really, it, it took a lot to just break that habit of always checking my phone because I, I deleted all my social media, couldn't couldn't handle that anymore. Uh, and again, thankfully, because I needed zero distractions last year with my wife fighting cancer, with my daughters having to school from home, with me having to teach from home. So that first six months, I mean, it was just, it was... It was rough because I, I, you know, I get, I get fired at the end of October, early November, and then we launch right into my daughter's birthday was right around that time, and then Thanksgiving, and then 
you know, my wife's birthday, Christmas, anniversary, then my birthday, and, and all of these things, my other daughter's birthday, and then all of these things are happening in under that cloud of what are what are we going to do? Because she's still trying to work through treatment because I don't have a job other than than uh, teaching, which doesn't pay the mortgage, doesn't pay all the bills. Uh, and so there was a lot of pressure on her. And it was just it, it was it was really just kind of shedding that that mentality of news guy first. Because I, I used to talk about having three jobs. You know, I was um, uh, a news anchor. I was a teacher and a podcast host. And my wife would be like, no, 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 no. You have two jobs, husband and father. The other things are, you know, how you make money and bring that. But really, you only have two jobs. And so reprioritizing that. And as we talked about early on, the the the, the shedding of the external identity and and accepting that you know what I'm I'm not I'm not that news guy anymore and it took me it took me probably until maybe June or July of last year to stop incessantly checking LinkedIn indeed Zip Recruiter, all these different job sites for something, for anything. I applied for hundreds of jobs. And as somebody who hadn't applied for a job really since 2004? The 1900s? <laughs> the late 1900s? <laughs> You know, it was it was a, a fascinating experience. You know, the, the, especially during the pandemic. You know, you're, yeah. you're you're doing a couple of interviews. I didn't get many interviews, but the ones I did get up were on Zoom. And you know, it just again, just shedding that and and accepting that that identity is is it comes from within. You know, it's not your job. It's not how you dress. It's not your hair. It's who, how you feel inside and who you are to your family. And that, that took, that took a while. Yeah. And unfortunately some, something drastic has to happen in most of our lives. Uh, most of us who are so ingrained right. in this business to stop. Um, and sometimes it happens by choice. Sometimes it happens, um, you know, it, it just We're forced happens. Into it. it's right. forced into it and you yeah. can choose you have two options. You can choose to figure out how to move forward and how to become a better version of yourself, or you can choose to continue to stay in the past and try to repeat who that was and stay in that same cycle, which if you've ever been through anything and have done that, you, it doesn't work because there's That's a reason so why enough. you were pushed yeah. into a, a, a different situation. It's a forced way of a whole new path. What did it mean for you to, to be a journalist? I loved entertaining with information. And just, you could get your facts anywhere, but getting them from a place that you enjoy hearing it, like with maybe some humor, depending on the story, some perspective, you know, that, that's, that's what I love about radio, is, is just the, the intimacy, the bond that, the radio person has with the listener, that part, I just, I love it. Absolutely love it. Now talk to me about, talk to me about the journey of 
you know, this diagnosis with your wife. Um, and particularly since you guys have two young daughters and the, you know, I know you've learned a lot in, in just this last year from her in that process. And I think she, it sounds to me like she invested, um, a lot of that time in making sure that you guys were okay. Um, talk to me about, about that and being a husband and a father and then, you know, having, being part of that and still trying to be there for her, trying to be there for yourself, trying to take care of the girls. Talk to me about that. The whole situation really forced me to become a husband and father for the first time. You know, I got married in 09 and we had our first daughter in 2012, our second in 2015, but, but I was never really there. I was never fully present mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically, just never 100% focused. And that was, that was something that all of the different things that were happening in late 2019 and all of 2020 really forced a lot of people, not just me, but a lot of people to just look at what was happening inside our four walls, right? And all of a sudden, Yes, I'm still going to teach after I got fired and the first part of 2020 still going in to teach. But the only things that really mattered what, what was going on in these four walls, my wife's cancer diagnosis and our two daughters, how are they going to handle that? And then, of course, them being forced to stay home to continue school. And how are we all going to handle that? Because by May, give or take, now she's starting to get some abdominal issues because of the liver, because of, of it's in bone. It's just, it's, it's all over the place now. And so May and June is when it really started to deteriorate. And, and I've said this on uh, my podcast before, the hospital experience in May was so miserable that until she went back to the hospital in November. She probably should have gone into the hospital another maybe two or three or four times. But because during the pandemic, no visitors, very limited. And she's, uh, you know, she, her white blood cell count is all over the place. So she's isolated. It was a depressing, miserable experience. And so she didn't go back until election night, but probably should have gone back at least a few times over the summer and early fall. There were three dozen lesions in her brain by that point in the summer. So now we got to get off chemo. We've got to uh, uh, then do whole brain radiation. And once she's done with that, go back on chemo. But by that point, honestly, it was just it was just too much. It was just too much because the liver has to process all the chemo, but the liver can't process all the chemo because of the cancer. And the only reason, the only way you can fight the cancer in the in the liver is with chemo. But if the liver can't handle it, then you're you're out of luck. And that's 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 really what ended up happening. Um, there was just, I mean, fluid in her lungs. There's the liver involvement. There's just all kinds of things that by by November it was just too much. It was he, just too how much. are you handling all of this at the time? I think if you asked me at the time, I would have said, I'm okay. You know, I'm okay. Just with every step of the news, every step of the way, you just, you're okay. And you think I, you were just 
emotionally in denial. Right, right, exactly, exactly. Whereas if, you know, not if you ask me now, but now that you ask me about last year, I was a complete mess. I was, I was a wreck. Just the most anxious I've ever been. Having lived with anxiety since I can remember as a kid, three, four, five years old or whatever, last year was the most anxious I'd ever been because you want to talk about feeling out of control of a situation. You know, we're, we're doing everything we can and nothing is helping. Nothing is working. And, and, and you, and you, and truthfully, like we're talking about this, like two professionals, right. As if we're talking about someone else, but we're really talking about you and your life. Yeah. And the reason we are able to do this is because we are two professionals who've been doing this for so long. Um, there's an element of detachment that comes from being able to have actually having these difficult conversations. Yeah. But I actually want to bring that attachment back in because I don't think it's normal for us to do that. Right. I don't think it's normal for us to detach a, from a, a circumstance and a situation as we talk about it. Yeah. And, you know, I remember thinking about you and thinking about what you're going through because we talked a few times, um, you know, as you were going through this. And I remember thinking about your girls and I remember thinking about, you know, what she, what she must be going through, what you must be going through, what the girls must be going like every single person has their own experience. But to think about this level of not only not having control, but also this idea that for the first time you are feeling like you are present and you're a husband and a father and this is happening. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm feeling feelings for the first time and it is the most, it is the most brutal of feelings. It's like, Really, I, I couldn't have decided to start feeling my feelings when I'm, you know, at a birthday party, you know, where it just clicks. And, and of course, God doesn't work that way. God's like, no, you're going you're gonna to totally feel the widest spectrum of feelings right now. Early, early last year before the pandemic, and it might have been around Christmas, but I think it was early last year before the pandemic. Um, and she had already gotten her cancer diagnosis. And I'm bawling in church because just something about the the gospel that day. And I'm not I'm just by and large over the years a religious person. But there's something hit me that day. And she leaned over and she's like, this, these are feelings. This is, this is what it feels like. Because if you're going to block the bad, you're also going to block the good. And here she is dying of cancer full of the pain that I've inflicted her and this family as well. And yet she, and yet she can turn to me and show me the love that she has for me and this family. And, um, help me because she knew that helping me would help her and help our family. And that's what I took with me until the day she passed. And that's what I take with me. And, you know, the truth of it is to be able to even do this, right? To be able to feel the emotion of 
um, sadness, but also the how 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 grateful you must be, and how um, I feel like how courageous she was in her in her life, knowing oh, what was sure. happening. But you know what struck me also is the story you told me about how she was so straightforward with your girls and how she prepared them at the age of six and nine, are they right? Six and eight. Yeah. So, yeah. Six, yeah. Yeah. Five and seven last year, she's having conversations with them about, I mean, the, the reason she's cremated and in an urn downstairs is because she had a conversation with them late last summer and said, you know, by this point, she she had talked to them already about how mommy could could die soon. Didn't say exactly when, you know, because, of course, we don't know, but she started to prepare them and, and, and explain to them the different things that could happen after she dies. She could be cremated and she explained that process and we kept in an urn in the house or she could be buried and she explained that process and then we would go visit her and they chose the reason she's downstairs in an urn right now is because they chose that the girls chose that our daughters, daughters chose, chose that and said we want you here in the house and i was i was shocked as, as somebody who has never really experienced death all that close to me, had a couple of grandfathers pass away and grandparents pass away, but really nothing else. I was, I was shocked at the simple, honest conversation that she had with the girls because that was necessary. She was, she accepted that uncomfortable conversations need to be had. And she, in, in that moment and many moments prior to that, she was teaching our daughters that it's okay to have uncomfortable conversations. It is necessary to have uncomfortable conversations, that this discomfort you're feeling, it's normal, but you get through it. And it was such a lesson for them and it was such a lesson for me to the point where I took that model and her example. And when she stopped breathing the night of November 10th, Tuesday, November 10th, and she ended up in the ICU that night in a coma, the conversation the next morning became, do the girls visit her? Do the girls come upstairs and see her? And all the doctors and nurses, not all, but most of the doctors and nurses advised against it. And I initially hesitated. And then I thought, you know what? If she's going to have conversations with them about dying and death and what happens, she would probably want them to visit her because they need to see where mommy is. They, they, they don't need to be told, oh, well, mommy died. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? What does that feel like? And they're just going to be left wondering, well, what happened to mommy? And so I had a conversation with them in the chapel 
downstairs and explained that I'm going to take them upstairs to see mommy. And she's on machines that are helping her breathe. They're helping her heart. But don't be scared because those machines are there to help her. And I'll be with you and I'll, I'll be with you. And so we came upstairs. Uh, both of the girls started crying, especially my eight-year-old. She's the more emotional of the two. And one of the pediatric nurses came over and, and brought uh, a fingerprint crafting kit so they could take mommy's fingerprints and put them in keychains and lockets and things like that. Wow. And they, they, they made it a whole experience around being with mommy. And so they, they got to touch her and talk to her and tell her they love her and, and say goodbye. And I, I truly believe that she wouldn't have wanted me to have denied them that. And I mean, I go through life now, like what would Len do? You know, what would Len say? Because the, the wiser, better person in this relationship died that morning of November 12th. And so all I could do is just do my best to emulate her and, and try to teach our girls with the help of my wife's sisters, one of whom has moved in with her family to help take care of things. Uh, just try to teach them everything I can about what she would have done and what she would have said and what she would have wanted. I mean, that's, that's, that's all I could do. I mean, I, she, she spent the last year of her life trying to help me be a better person. I mean, what, how can I, how can I not try to take that and run with it and, and just be grateful for the opportunity. Like I, I, I have survivor's guilt. Like there's no tomorrow. I mean, there's just up to my eyeballs in survivor's guilt every day. And I just, I surrender that. I, I, I do my best to not let that get in the way of living because I'm, I'm all the, the girls have left when it comes to mommy and daddy. And I mean, there's, there's a reason she spent the last year of her life working to make me and fix me and make me a better person. As I heard someone in wiser who would experience something similar say, you don't ever get over it. You move forward, right? You move forward with your life. You never get over it. So I'm not going to ask you, have you gotten over it? Because that's just a ridiculous question. <laughs> right. <laughs> how, how uh, have you moved forward? And how are you doing in that process? Uh, first few months, roller coaster. Absolute roller coaster. And it was the same for my daughters. You know, we, we would 
cry a lot together. We'd laugh a lot together. I, I don't know why, but mornings are especially hard. Uh, I, I wake up before everybody else generally, and it's just, it's, it's still, it's quiet. I mean, I'm laying in the bed exactly where she would lay in the bed all last year fighting this terrible disease. And sometimes I feel myself like getting up exactly the way that I saw her getting up and out of bed to take a drink of water or something like that. It's just those little things. Um, I felt like I had a pretty good March and April and then mother's day came around and I just, that, that morning, I was just a mess, just a complete mess. And then father's day came around. I was a complete mess. Cause I'm like, you know, what, what kind of day am I supposed to have? You know, yes, I, I, I know it's, it's father's day, but you know, how am I supposed to celebrate this day when I can't even celebrate the other day? That's, that was, that's the whole point. Everybody gets a day, right? And, um, no, but I, I just, I, I let myself cry if I want to cry. I let myself do nothing. If I feel like, you know what, uh, today is, is an okay to do uh, an okay day to do nothing that it is okay to not be okay. And that's not something I ever let myself, uh, experience before. Yeah. What's the most important thing you've learned? I mean, I I don't know that I could put it really into into one word. Uh, not that you necessarily asked me to, but it's like uh, my immediate thought is like, well, what's one word I could really? But there's there's really not. It's just like the, I guess, just being being real and and authentic, and allowing life to happen. I I spent forty years trying to change the outcome of situations and manipulate situations and people and things to not hurt me. And in doing so, I didn't let love in either. And so I, I through this whole thing, I've, I've learned how to love, I've learned how to grieve, I've learned how to be all kinds of emotional, things like that just life i mean life life is the ups life is the downs it is everything everything in between and life is just everything and if you don't let yourself feel one of those things then you're not going to let yourself feel any of those things and that i feel like is the biggest takeaway because then that is what i'm teaching the girls and i i feel like that was her that's her legacy. It's been a great conversation with you, Aaron. Oh my gosh, good to catch up, and uh, it's payback. I told you, you're gonna you're gonna make me cry. I am. I I'm really proud of you as a professional, but I'm also just really proud of you as a friend for the growth and for your honesty and transparency and your friendship. Thank you, Aaron, for joining us, and I'll see you and I'll be here on the next show. I'm still the Hara Pettyon.